Let's pray together. Jesus, it is all about you. We are here for nothing today if not to glorify you and your name and make you known in this place, God. Jesus, be with us. We invite you here. We ask you to have your way, God. Lord, we submit our minds to you now to hear from you, to hear a word from you, not from me, God, but from you. So, Lord, I pray that you would posture our hearts correctly to be able to receive from you, Lord. I pray that your word would not go out void, that it would fall on good soil. And, Lord, that we would leave here changed. We would leave here more in love with you. Receive all the glory and honor and praise today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, worship team. Thank you, everyone who uh, serves every week to make all of this possible. Um, my name is Sharon Ortiz. I have the tremendous privilege of being called one of your pastors here at ALCF. Um, the last time I preached, my parents tuned in and they were very proud of me. <laughs> and uh, to give you an insight on Asian parenting, for those who don't know, um, I knew they were very proud of me, not because they said they were proud of me, although they did later, but because my, my dad said, you touched your hair and your glasses too much. <laughs> All the Asians in here understand that. Um, so I'm going to try to do both less, um, but now I've got this mic and I'm afraid I'm going to fiddle with that because I get nervous. And if I keep fiddling, that's out of nervousness. And I say to my dad, what does it matter if I touch my hair and my glasses so long as the gospel is being preached? So that's my aim. <laughs> that's my goal today. <laughs> All right, um, so we are in this sermon series called Prepared to Build, and today we're still talking about foundations, and we're going to talk about obedience today. If you have your Bibles with you, your devices with you, please turn to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to look at verses 24 to 27 and uh, hear from the Lord. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain came, and the floods, the floods, the rain fell, and the floods came, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell and great was the fall of it. Amen. Um, the closer that I get to being middle-aged, and I know I just upset a lot of you by saying that, but the closer <laughs> that I get to being middle-aged, the more interested I become in like home decor, like furniture and appliances and seasonal decorations, um, like not just pumpkins during Halloween, but different gourd varieties. Um, and everyone does poinsettias during Christmas, but Trader Joe's had these really cute, like light pink poinsettias this year. I don't know if you saw those, but like they excite me now. <laughs> um, our microwave broke last year and it's one of those um, wall units that's like connected to the oven and they couldn't just replace a part. So we had to replace the whole thing. So I got a new oven and a brand new microwave and it was so pretty. And it has like a, a pull-out drawer in the oven. It's so smooth. Uh, I, I didn't hang my kitchen towels on that for, I think, a week or two because I, I just wanted to admire it. 
It just excites me, right? I now understand why HGTV is a 24-7 program, right? That's just the stage of life that I'm at. So recently, I saw this story on uh, social media, and um, it was really interesting to me because, you know, social media, most people put their best foot forward. All these curated, fake, but aesthetically beautiful moments. Well, I saw this lady, and she was going viral for a different reason. She was going viral because she was showing off her poorly flipped house. This is something that we're really familiar with, right, in the housing market in the Bay Area. Uh, property will go on sale for an exorbitant amount, gets snatched up in no time by some investor. You know, they spend a few months flipping it, making some cosmetic changes to it, then it's back out on the market a couple months later for an even more exorbitant amount, gets snapped up in no time, over asking by some wealthy family that's not even native to the Bay Area. <laughs> and I think my bitterness is showing, but we all know, we all know this story, right? It's impossible to compete with. And um, she was, it, it was really funny because while it's easy to get jealous at these situations from the outside, she was showing off all the ways that the, the flipper like just did a shoddy job, right? So for instance, some of the things were, um, there was banisters missing on the staircase and it left space like for her kids to be able to go through and they could have gone out and gotten hurt. Uh, she shows a rain gutter. And so rain gutter is supposed to go off the side of your house, like down another rain gutter to the ground. Uh, it was like a multi-storied house, right? So this is the side of her house and this is her door, her side door to patio or whatever. And the first story rain gutter, instead of running this way, it ran this way and just ends right here. So when it rained, it's just a waterfall, like in front of the side door. She couldn't use that door. Um, another thing was the garage door opener, the button. It was like right on the side of an outside door frame. So guess what? It looks like a doorbell, but it opens the garage. Um, another thing was um, the cabinets, right? Uh, the handles were on the wrong side that it didn't open. Like it was on the side that, with the hinges on it. So, and there was a whole bunch of things. And um, she got so popular with these videos, not only because they're wildly entertaining, but she started getting responses from other people who had shoddy flipping jobs done in their house. What a very literal illustration for our text today. Right. Our text comes out the end of the Sermon on the Mount, which is probably Jesus' most famous teaching. Uh, it goes from chapters 5 to chapter 7 of Matthew, and it's you know, where we get the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Um, it's also where we find, you know, you're the salt and the light of the earth. Um, pray for your enemies and love them. And uh, where he defines what adultery is. If you just even look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. Um, the golden rule, you know, do unto others as you would have done to yourself. All of those great teachings belong to this Sermon on the Mount. We're in this series, Prepare to Build, right? Talking about the foundations of our faith. Foundations, it's not really the popular part. Foundations are the part that don't get seen. So our leaders and our staff, you know, we've been praying and 
to streaming together on behalf of ALCF and what God wants us to do and take us through. And, you know, most of our, our elder staff, our, our elder board and our staff, they've been here for so long. They've seen so much go on through this body and how God has been faithful through every season. And those who have walked with them, those who have walked with us through all these different seasons. And it makes us more excited than ever, not just to see giftedness, but to see the people who have been faithful through all those seasons now serve, right? I love seeing everyone on the worship team. I love seeing Akua up here. She just worships with so much joy, right? Um, we have a preaching team now. It's not just one person. It's these people who have served and loved this body and walked with this body who are serving. Most, if not all, of the leaders and staff here are, are, are internal or ingrown. We love this body. You see Elder Zeke when he gets up here and he prays. He loves this body. Can't you feel his heart? And I love that he's an elder over this house because he knows the history of this house. And through the series, we're going to be talking about gifts and we're going to be talking about service. And that's our goal for everyone to serve because you are all gifted. But just like a house, before you can start the actual building, you need to take the time to build a proper foundation. We get excited talking about the gifts, right? We want to have those great moments of faith and those heroes in the church. We all want that. But if we are not first firmly rooted in a firm foundation, if we don't have the character to sustain the gifts that God gave us, then we're like that house. It could be beautiful, but it's not built on solid ground. And so when trouble comes, we're going to fall. Giftedness without character is one of the most dangerous things in the kingdom of God. You can influence a lot of people with your charisma for a long time. You can get very far. But if your character doesn't hold, you can also lead a lot of people astray and great will be the fall of it. We want every single one of you here to walk in your gifts, but we want you to do it rightly. And so we don't mind taking the time to talk about the foundation. So think about your house. When people come to your house, what do they see? When you come to my house, you probably see my dining table with all the mess that's on it. It's like our dining table, but it's our everything table, right? Um, you see our couch, you see some family pictures on the wall, maybe you have family heirlooms, um, just all the beautiful things. I guarantee you that people don't see your foundation. They're not looking for your foundation, but your foundation is the most important part of that entire house. Foundations are that part of your faith that builds you up, but it's never seen. It's the things that are done in secret. The things that get no glory. It's who you are when no one's around. It's the mundane things, the uneventful things, the everyday things. Who are you when no one's there to see it? Who are you when your friends want to watch a movie and you're not sure if you should watch it or not? They don't answer to God, but you do. In those moments, do you choose to still answer to God? Without these things, though, without these foundational things, there's no substance to your faith. I don't care how nicely it's decorated. 
seeking spirit in the little decisions that you make every day. My son, he just turned 13, I have a teenager now, it's new territory. He was at a, he was at a sleepover with his friends the other day and um, you know, we've known all these kids since they were in kindergarten. And uh, he texts me about 10.30, he's like, mom, they wanna watch a movie, it's rated R, should, what should I do? And uh, I'm thinking, man, 13, I was exposed to rated R movies a lot younger than then, you know? <laughs> but um, I wanted him to think for himself. You know, anytime something happens with our kids that's like big discipline issues, I always pray with them. And I tell them, you know, as long as you can stand before God with a clean conscience, the clean heart, then I'm okay with the decisions that you make. It's not going to affect me. It's going to affect you. And you need to start being able to do that for yourself. So he texts me. He's like, Mom, what should I do? I'm like, hmm. The mom part of me is like, I'll go get you right now, okay? Um, or is the mom going to watch the movie with you? Because then I'll be okay with that. And he's like, well, the mom's asleep. Uh, they don't want to watch anything else. I'm like, all right, well, pray over your heart and over your mind. And then do what you feel is right. Why? Because I'm teaching him not to listen to my voice, but to listen to God's voice, to have his own relationship with God. And you can carry that, you can transfer that to any other situation. Pray over your mind and over your heart and do what God leads you to do. Now, I don't know what he prayed, and I don't know what God told him, and I don't know if he obeyed. <laughs> but at least I feel that was good counsel. And it's those things that people don't see right? And you can run into so many of these little decisions that are unseen, but that's what makes up your integrity. That's what makes up your character. That's what makes up your foundation. It may not feel like these things amount to anything. It may not feel like these are the great victorious moments that we want, but there are no shortcuts to spiritual greatness. Look at this quote with me from Craig Groeschel. I don't know if I got the slides up in time, so maybe you can't look it up, but listen. Craig Groeschel says this. In the Old Testament, Daniel stood strong and trusted God when he was thrown into the den of hungry lions. To me, it's interesting to think about why Daniel was so confident in God's protection. When did he learn to trust God? The answer, he didn't learn to trust God in the lion's den. Daniel learned in his prayer closet. His faith wasn't built in the battle. His faith was built when he was on his knees. He had consistently sought after the heart of God three times a day, day after day, week after week, month after month. He consistently worshiped and sought God. Why is it that we often lack faith? Why are we inconsistent in our relationship with God? Because Daniel prayed consistently and we pray occasionally. It's not what we do occasionally that makes the difference. It's what we do consistently. I'll say it again. It's not what we do occasionally that makes a difference. It's what we do consistently. Any wife will tell you, ask any wife in this room, the occasional flowers are great. The date nights are great. The special occasion, the restaurants are great. The gifts are great. But more than the celebrations and the grand gestures, that's really the easy part, right? That's what everyone wants to do. Put the dishes away every day. Vacuum regularly, all right? Take out the trash, pick up the kids, clear the table before I ask you to. Take the dog out for a walk even when you don't feel like it. It's the hundreds of daily little things that are foundational to the functioning of your household. That's 
the hard part. And choosing that life day after day, waking up and doing it again and again, month after month, year after year, that's where your great love is demonstrated. Amen? Amen. That's the harder work. That's what builds a home. So Jesus ends his long teaching, these words on building your house on a rock. Now notice these words in English, it's called parallel structure. Jesus uses this a lot. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them is like the wise man who built his house on a rock. Jump down to verse 26. And everyone who hears these words of mine, exact same words, parallel structure, but does not do them will be like the foolish man. Note, the wise man and the foolish man, they both heard the same word. It's not that the foolish man got a different lesson or he didn't get the full word and so he didn't have a chance. No, they both heard the same word. Everyone hears. The way that you respond is different and obedience is the difference maker. I feel like I got a really unpopular topic to preach about today on obedience. Right? We, we don't like that word, obedience, right? I'm not, not a dog, obedience, you know. If you're like me, you don't like being told what to do. My husband's the same way, so you can imagine what our household is like. <laughs> but naturally, we feel like obedience is restraining us. We feel like submission is limiting, right? And I felt the same way for a very long time, but like so many things in God's economy, it's the opposite of what the world calls it. The word obedience simply means submitting to another's authority. Who has authority over your life? God does. It's only when we try to fight with that authority that submission and obedience becomes a struggle. We're competing with God for the throne. That's why we feel this tension. That's why we feel this restraint, because we're still trying to be the Lord of our lives. Let me tell you a story, true story. Years ago, when Carlos and I were first married, um, I, was, I was serving as youth pastor at a church, and um, I was used to making decisions for the ministry, and uh, I didn't know what submission and obedience meant. I mean, we talk about it at church all the time, but I didn't know what it looked like in my real life. So we get married, and um, I'm still a youth pastor, so I'm still operating as usual, making decisions for the ministry and whatnot. And um, he would find out about these decisions like during staff meetings, <laughs> you know, and he'd be like, hey, what's, what's going on? Like, this is not right. And rightly so, he should feel like that because I wasn't treating him as someone that I was in equal submission to. I was treating him like a staff member, right? And it, it created some tension in our marriage because I was out of line. So fast forward some time and, you know, I, I through a series of events and, and whatnot, but more so because we felt that God was calling us to a different season, we had to pray on this decision of like, are we going to stay here or are we going to go? And for the first time in our marriage, you know, I, I articulated and I said to him, you pray about it. If God tells you to leave, I will follow you. For the first time in our marriage, I gave him this authority. I gave him right? That headship over a, a, a decision that was going to affect our whole family. And this is what happened. Carlos knew right away 
He wanted to leave. In his heart, that's what he wanted. But he didn't say right away, we're going. I watched this man drive himself crazy for the next several weeks, trying to hear from God because he was so concerned to do what God's will was, not what his own feelings were. And he wrestled with the Lord because he wanted to lead his family correctly. And everything became a sign to him. Like a kid said, amen today, oh, we're staying. (laughs) He heard the name of another pastor preach somewhere, oh, we're going. Everything became, he was going crazy, trying to seek the Lord, wrestling with this decision. While he was going crazy, you know how I was? I was so free. (laughs) It's not my decision to make. I just, I'm just waiting for him. That's when the Lord showed me. That's when he taught me there is freedom in submission. There is freedom in obedience. Why? Because God has done the hardest work already in every area of my life. When I am obedient to God, I am acknowledging, God, you have already done the hardest work. You've done the hard part. All I have to do is say yes to you. We have the easy job. Don't you see that? There is incredible freedom. When the Spirit of the Lord is there, it's freedom. There's incredible freedom and submission. You have to trust that He loves you enough. He is invested in you enough. What more does He have to prove than what He has already done on the cross? He has done all the hard work, and He knows the best path for your life. All you have to do is say yes. There's so much freedom. Obedience, there's freedom in obedience. Secondly, obedience demonstrates your love to God. Obedience demonstrates your love to God. God never forces us to do anything. Even to this passage, he presents all his teachings, but he leaves a decision to us. Everyone who hears these words can be like a wise man, or everyone who hears these words can be like a foolish man. The decision is always ours. And you know, sometimes... I feel like it would be easier if God just didn't give us that choice. <clears throat> it would be a lot easier to be a Christian, right? If God would just give us this grand old sign from heaven, like just open up the heavens, open up the skies, like Mufasa style, you know, come out in the clouds for everybody to see. <laughs> Say, I am the one true king, right? It would be so easy, but it's hard. We talk to an invisible God. Why is he so insistent on giving us will? Why did he even make us capable of sin? All we do is mess things up from the get-go. But he leaves a choice to us. My favorite author, Philip Yancey, says this. The more I get to know Jesus the more impressed I am by what Ivan Karamazov calls the miracle of restraint. More amazing is his refusal to perform and to overwhelm. God's insistence on human freedom is so absolute that he granted us the power to live as though he did not exist, to spit in his face, to crucify him, I believe God insists on such restraint because no pyrotechnic displays of omnipotence 
will achieve the response he desires. Although power can force obedience, only love can summon a response of love, which is the one thing God wants from us and the reason he created us. All of these signs and all of these wonders, it is easy. He could, he could do it in a snap of a finger. But he is so insistent on giving us that will to choose because he doesn't want us to do it out of force. He doesn't want us to do it because we've been programmed or conditioned to. He wants us to obey out of one reason alone, out of our love for him. He will never force you into obedience. That's not his way. Side note, if anyone ever tries to force you into submission in any way, they are acting outside of the character of God. I don't care what they say. That's not his way. When we choose to obey, our obedience demonstrates our love for God. And it serves as a witness to this world, our devotion to him. Why can't you watch the movie? I just, I can't do it. And that tells you that who holds the throne of my heart, who I answer to, who I obey to. And I do it because I love him. Every time we obey God, we're saying to the world, he's safe. He is good. I trust him. He is for me and I will follow him because I love him. And obedience leads to life. Again, both men in this story, they hear the same words. The wise one obeys, the foolish does not. The foolish one's house does not withstand the wind and the rain. Even there, you see the same trials coming after the house. The winds and the rains and the floods, the same thing attacked both houses. One stood, one does not. Disobedience leads to a great fall. Disobedience is a poor foundation. It reiterates again and again, when I obey God, that I don't have the answers, that I'm not in control. It says that I am in need of a Savior. My Savior's name is Jesus, and to Him I surrender my life. Do you know why I know about the foundation of a house? We live on the top of a hill. <laughs> I'm almost done. The worship team can come up. I live on top of a hill, and we have a beautiful view, beautiful house. But when you live on the top of a hill, things shift. Not long after we moved in, our foundation started shifting. And it was subtle and slow at first, a little crack here, a little crack there. And then these cracks started getting bigger. Then all of a sudden, one of our bedroom doors wouldn't close. And then the cracks would just start popping. And then our closet door wouldn't open. And then our bathroom tiles started popping up. So what did they do? They had to come and fix this foundation. And it was a very costly fix. And they lifted the entire house. And it turns out the foundation was much shallower than it should have been for the terrain that our house sits on. So they fixed it, and our doors closed again. 
everything functioned as it should. I think that's how some of us are living our lives today. Some of us things seem okay from the outside. The view's good. It's pretty decorations. There's nothing that feels really wrong, but you know, there's this door in my heart that I just can't close. There's this door in my life that I just can't open no matter how many times I try and try with these temporary fixes, but it just keeps opening. And I don't know what's wrong. And I wonder if these are indications of areas in our lives, areas in our hearts where we are out of obedience to God's word. See, some of you are longing to build. Some of you are longing to use your gifts and, and you're frustrated and like, God, I, you have gifted me with these things. Why can't I, why am I not walking in it yet? And I wonder if God is saying to you, let's take a look at your foundation. Before you can step out into the things you can see, you need to make sure that the things that are unseen are solid. Daniel gained faith on his knees and prayers before he was delivered from the lion's den. David killed a lion and a bear defending his sheep in private before he defeated Goliath before armies. What is your secret life like? What is your unseen life like? How is your devotion to God when there's no one there to see it? Do you still do those things because you love him, because he's captured your soul? Have you been obedient in the small things? Decisions that no one else is going to have, but he's asking you to make a decision. And here's the last thing. Everyone then who hears these words of mine, there's an invitation there. So not only is this Jesus' most famous teaching, it's his first teaching of his public ministry. He has uh, called his disciples, and then there's goes healing people, and there's big crowds that have gathered, and this is the teaching that he has. And it seems like this impossible standard of rules. How can I, how can I like not even think ill of my brother? And you know, that means I murdered him in my heart, like God. Seems like an impossible standard. How can I cut off my right hand if it's causing me to say it seems like an impossible standard? And from the start, from the establishment of who he is publicly, saying, of course you can't do these things on your own. You can only do these things in my power. And so there's an invitation Everyone who hears these words of mine. Who? Everyone. Who? Everyone. Not just the religious leaders. Not just the elite. Not just the educated. Not just the wealthy. Everyone. Jesus is the first and only major world religious leader, whatever you want to call it, who invites the whole world. Even the Jewish of the day. When, you know, you go through the Torah school and everything, and then... Only if you were deemed worthy. You don't choose, you don't sign up for your rabbi. The rabbi comes to you and says, follow me. So when we see all the disciples being fishermen, being whatever they're doing, it means they didn't make the cut. They were never picked up by a, by a rabbi. Jesus goes to these people and says, follow me. He did that to them individually, privately. He has his core disciples. And now on a macro level, he's saying everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wife. Everyone gets a chance. And the chance is up to you, whether you obey, whether you listen or not.
no matter your background, no matter where you came from, no matter what you've done. And I know that's another thing here that some, are, some people are dealing with right now too. You feel like the things that you've done in secret have deemed you unworthy. You don't know what I've gone through and what I hide from people. God's going to take care of that too. He's going to fix your foundation today. Even women, you know this? Jesus was the first feminist because he included women in his plan. Everyone who hears these words of mine will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. How do we get there? Through obedience. And the wind fell and the floods came. The winds blew and beat on the house and it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, floods came, winds blew, same storm. Beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. There is warning in this passage. There's no denying that. The only thing that separates these two fates is obedience. Some of you are just satisfied with the life that you're living and you need a firm foundation. Won't you hear that invitation today? Some of you have been holding on to the throne in your own heart, not wanting to relinquish control. Won't you surrender today and acknowledge that God has done the hard work. Won't you give that to him? My hope and prayer is that you experience the absolute freedom of a life lived in obedience. Surrender to a good, good God. I promise you he's good. I promise you he loves you and he is for you. And may we say of ALCF, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will be a body obedient to God, and God alone, let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for who you are. You don't just call us to a set of rules and leave us to despair and hopelessness. You call us to yourself. And God, you have done the hard work. You have overcome the grave so that we can be more than overcomers by your spirit. Lord, I pray that we will let go of what pride we have. I pray that we will let go of whatever obstacles there are. I pray that we will pay attention to those indicators in our heart that we are outside of obedience to you. God, would you fix our foundation today? Would you fix our foundation today? Would this be a place where people are faithful to what you have called us to be? We don't care about how we look on the outside. We don't care about what the other churches look like. We should fix our foundation, God. I pray that we would be built on the solid ground because the storms will come. The winds will blow. The floods will come. And when they do, Jesus, may we be found standing on the solid rock May we bring glory and honor to your name. Oh God, I can't wait to see what you're going to do through this house. I can't wait to see what you're going to do when you release the storehouse of gifts 
that you have invested in each and every person. I am excited for that day. But Lord, we can't get there until our foundation is right. Create in us a clean heart that we will want to do it right. We don't need the glory. The glory is yours and yours alone. I thank you for this body. I thank you for your love, your faithfulness to this body. The best is yet to come. And Jesus, we are along for the ride. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name.